0: I can't just go, you know, fix the room, that I have to intentionally pause, connect, take a beat, do the relationship thing, and then say, great, I want to talk more. But right now, I'm I'm very focused on making sure the PowerPoint works.
1: Hello, hello. How are you doing today? This is Hannah and I welcome you to another episode of Reaching Your Goals. Reaching Your Goals is a career-focused podcast where I sit down with truly inspiring individuals and we talk about leadership and career-related topics to give you the insights to get one step closer to living a fulfilled professional life. We all have goals we want to reach, but sometimes we need those insights, those nuggets that help us moving. And depending on the day, I'm either a certified leadership and executive coach or a management consultant and I have an MBA from NYU Stern School of Business. My mission is to inspire you to reach your goals, lead with kindness and have some fun along the way. This week, we will focus on the neuroscience of coaching with the objective of becoming more effective as a leader. I have a wonderful guest for this intriguing topic. It's Anne Betts. Anne is the co-founder of Be Above Leadership and an international speaker and trainer on the intersection of neuroscience, coaching and human transformation. She's one of the leading experts today on the neuroscience of coaching. And is also a published poet who loves cats, rain in the desert, and healthy relationships. And is based in Santa Fe in New Mexico. Before we jump in, may I quickly check in with you. Have you already told any of your friends about this show? If not, what are you waiting for? It would mean the world to me, knowing that you support me in my journey. Thank you. And now it's finally time to get started. Anne, it's wonderful to see you again. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's just great to be here with you, Hannah. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I'm happy to hear that. And I like to start my interviews with rapid fire questions, short questions, short answers. Okay. Your last name actually sounds very German. Do you have German roots or anything like that? I do. It means bear
0: in archaic German. And my family is from the Frankfurt area originally. And real quick, they left because of the potato
1: famine in the 1800s, and their whole town. And you co-founded Be Above Leadership in 2004. What has been the most unexpected thing about being a businesswoman? Oh my gosh! That I think
0: the unexpected thing is that it's a step-by-step process, and I could not necessarily see where we were going. But as long as I focused on what was right in front of us, we did we did great. I think it was, that was unexpected because I was told have a big vision and we couldn't always, we didn't always know what the vision was.
1: (laughs) Say who is one of your role
0: models? Oh, I would say the first name that comes to mind is my friend, Dr. Linda Page. And Linda was the head of the Adler Coaching Institute in Toronto. I think she's retired now. And what I admire about her is such a beautiful combination of head and heart, the best heart in the world, and really, really, really smart. She actually co-authored the book, Coaching with the brain in mind with David Rock, and just a brilliant woman, but never forgot that it's all about the heart.
1: How would your friends and family describe you in one word? Spunky. Oh.
0: <laughs> Probably spunky. <laughs> what does spunky actually mean? Energetic, daring, and like always ready to jump into something. I, oh, I love it. That's what they would say. Oh, perfect. And what do you need to be at your best? I need the balance between solitude and
1: stimulation. Imagine you could be an animal. Which one would you be and why? I would be a cat. (laughs) Okay, that was the obvious one.
0: (laughs) And why? Because they're they're very self-contained and they they do what they want to do. But they're also like my cats. They do what they want to do, but they also love me. And they want so I love again. It's that head and heart kind of balance that I love. Solitude and social socialization. They're really good at that, and they're pretty. <laughs> I think cats are really pretty. <laughs> they are.
1: Uh, what is one thing that people often get wrong about you? Mm, they think that I'm all about neuroscience,
0: and I'm really all about consciousness. And uh, I'm. They don't. Necessarily know how deeply, deeply committed I am to human awareness, human consciousness that's what motivates me. Neuroscience is just an expertise and a, an explanation, but that the driver is who are we as humanity and and how do we raise the consciousness level of the world That's yeah. what motivates me
1: mm. and what is the most important quality in a leader? integration. Do you want to share more? That's both an experiential
0: answer that I've seen. It's also a science-based answer. And it also relates to human consciousness. The best leaders are not a polarity. They're not you know, command and control, but they're not loosey-goosey all over the place. They are, they understand how to focus and how to expand. And that would be my, you know, narrow in and open up. How do I keep my focus on the task that needs to be done and on the humans involved? That's a magical leader. And if I can just expand, I will say that I've talk to, you know, I talk to hundreds, I talk to thousands of people. It's what I do for a living. And when I ask them about the leaders that they would work for again, or the leaders that they would follow through fire, it's not the ones who are just nice. And it's not the ones who are just good at getting things done. It's the ones who hold both. Hands down, cross-culturally, around the world, those are the leaders we admire. What is one thing that you are most proud of My relationship with my business partner, and she's German, by the way, (laughs) Ursula. Actually, I thought so. It's only quite German. Very German. Her husband's Dutch, so the last name is Patinga, but Ursula is her first name. And we have been best friends and business partners for 22 years. And I would not be who I am without her. We have understood that we don't think alone we think with each other we're an extended mind together and have learned how to be powerfully in relationship sounds like a very healthy relationship yeah and part of that is is work along the way and my learning you know my own you know negative attributes that I bring to the relationship as well as the positive ones and And I would say ultimately we focus more, much more, 99% we focus on acknowledging and empowering each other and pulling out the best and giving feedback about what we love about each other and maybe 1% to 2% on here's what needs to change. Only when it's absolutely necessary, mostly we just lift each other up.
1: And with that, let's jump in. I would love to learn more about you and how you got to where you are today. Could you please share the key milestones? Okay, so
0: where I am today, maybe I'll start with, well, where am I? In Santa (laughs) Fe. Where am I? I'm in Santa Fe. And my partner and I have an international training company. We focus mostly on training coaches in neuroscience and effectiveness And also we do trauma training. We do train people to be trauma certified coaches. And it's been a, uh, my gosh, I don't even know where to start. I Probably started in my teens when I became fascinated with philosophy because I wanted to understand, I think from the time I was actually a small child, I wanted to understand why there was evil in the world. Didn't make any sense to me as a little girl it didn't make any sense to me that people would operate in a machiavellian way just to get what they want and i have wanted to understand that my whole life and that's the journey that i'm on and will be on until until i'm until i'm dead so my partner and i we came together 20 years ago we were doing work in nonprofits we we have a pro bono coaching program. We are working around that. And all of these other things, because she's brilliant, kept intruding things we were reading, things we were studying that kept pointing us toward needing and wanting to learn more about human consciousness. We also call that human effectiveness. What makes some people operate with ease? What makes some people struggle in life? Why do, why do people believe that perhaps the way to get ahead is through cruelty versus through love? And so we started exploring that. And out of that, we developed a model that we call the seven levels of effectiveness. What ended up happening is that people would think of it as like just a model in about 2010, I started seeing that neuroscience was the connector. And I then went and did graduate studies in neuroscience. Ursula then joined me. And out of that, in 2012, we created a program for coaches because coaching is such a great tool to help people grow and develop. And that was a big, big milestone and a big change, you know, started 13 years ago. In the process, have just had a great time with all of these coaches and have learned a lot more about what is involved in effectiveness, how the brain, you know, what is the role of the brain and the body and the energetic system and our relationships, you know, this very, very complex process that is not limited to the brain. Uh, So then the last part of the milestone was up until 2019, we were traveling all over the world. We were in Europe, we were in Asia, we were basically, I was traveling half the time and Ursula was getting really burnt out and I was starting to get burnt out myself. And then COVID hit and right at the time that COVID hit, I had trips planned to Singapore and London and Shanghai, all of which got canceled. So because we had things scheduled before things shut down in the US, we had other things scheduled, we ended up going virtual quite early in 2019 and now have a strictly virtual program for working with coaches but those have been kind of the the points along the way and I tell you going virtual has saved our business because we could not have continued to go at the rate we were going. And it's also made it easier to train additional leaders.
1: You went through this coaching journey that you also tested everything on yourself and you went through this transformation. I'm so curious to find out how you changed. Like, what was your key aha moment about yourself? Who were you? Who are you now? Oh my gosh. Wow. I don't, wow, it's good. I mean, I think there were a
0: number of things along the way that really helped. A lot of it was my partnership. We processed together. I think there was a point at which I did a leadership program and I got more awareness of my impact. I need to have some awareness of how it is landing. And one of the ahas was I was over explaining things. That was a really good one. That helped me a lot as a leader. I learned to moderate more. You know, this is a long process. And I actually went to my first personal growth workshop when I was 18 years old and I'm 59 now. So we're looking at 41 years of trying to work on myself. What the consistent goal was of like all of the coaching tools that Ursula and I have developed is to do one of two things, either have more awareness and all change starts with awareness. You know, for example, if I'm doing a tool about stress and the brain, the questions are what am I like when I'm bored and what am I like when I'm understimulated and what am I like when I'm overstimulated and each person will be somewhat different. There's some. There's a commonality, but there's useful to explore in. You know, what do I need for my own stimulation to be in this just right? We call it the Goldilocks zone. And that's a good awareness. So then I can look at my life and I can say, wow, when I am overstimulated, when I have too much on my plate and things are coming at me, I tend to lose empathy. And that makes me a person that I don't like as well. So by having that awareness, then my job is to say, what am I saying yes to? What am I saying no to? If I say yes to this thing, will it take me out of my Goldilocks zone? Or is it a good stimulation that will, you know, keep me from being bored? So that helps me be a better human, just managing that. So I think that was one good aha. Uh-huh. And if I think about things that I learned. By watching my parents or by ways I was treated early in life, they were not, they were adaptive strategies at the time, but they were not necessarily helpful in adult life. So for example, my mom was a very had a very hot temper. And she was one of those people you had to walk on eggshells around. Well, I learned two things. One is to hold myself back, but the other is sometimes to blow up
1: mm-hmm. because
0: I watched her, neither one works very well as an adult human. Blowing up because I've been holding on and suppressing is not a useful strategy in in any kind of business. Really the intention of not becoming my mom, but being a more conscious human, I just kept practicing, 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 working on all of that. And all of that I think has really had a huge impact
1: And I love the aha moments and how it changed you. And one more question on that, because you were mentioning that pre-COVID burnout was a topic with you and with your partner, because there was just so much traveling going all over the world. Like it sounded like very, very demanding. How does that play in? Because I was a little bit surprised to hear the words burnout, because you you have this awareness. So I would assume that if bernard can hit somebody like you who's so <laughs> conscious <laughs> so aware we all in huge danger <laughs> well i think it's the
0: you know part of me loves the novelty and the excitement of travel and oftentimes we were going places people would say oh I just, you know, we just really want you to come. And it feels so good to be wanted. And, yes. you know, uh, yeah, it feels just great. And and you get to meet new people. So it was satisfying to one part of me, you know, the part of me that loves to connect and, all of that. And that just felt kind of bigger sometimes than the part of me that was saying, hold on, you have limited capacity. I think I didn't want to believe that I had limited capacity. And I think there's sort of like, I did not want to realize that I had any limitations. I think of it as, you know, the burnout can happen where um, I used to be a backpacker, And you were wearing a heavy backpack, you know, 30 pounds or so with all your stuff and your food and everything, and you're hiking along and you're having a great time. And then you come to lunch and you take your backpack off, and you're like, oh my God, that was so (laughs) heavy. Like that was so heavy. And so you're like, oh my, and I have to pick that up again. COVID was kind of like that. Like I said, I took the backpack off. Nice. And and now, if anybody wants me to go anywhere, I'm like, oh, I don't want to pick that backpack up again. I don't want to
1: go anywhere. I love That's it. That's metaphor. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. And you were mentioning neuroscience a number of times. I wrote down a definition. So, neuroscience is defined as any or all of the sciences, such as neurochemistry and experimental psychology, which deal with the structure or, func- or function of the nervous system and brain. So it's a huge, huge field. Yeah, it is. It's a huge field. It's a young field. People will
0: talk in neuroscience about brain scanning. We've only really had brain scanning capacity in the way that we know it now for about 30 years. Neuroscience itself as a real field is like 60 years old. So it's a young field. Which means it is constantly, we're learning more constantly, constantly. And I'll tell you what we're learning more. What we're learning more and more is anything we thought about the brain, it's probably more complex.
1: Surprise, surprise. And so is then your interest in the cognitive and behavioral branch? Is that where you are most interested in? What I'm interested in is not yet
0: fully a field of its own, but it's applied Mm -hmm. neuroscience. So, what I'm, and it's that which really started out in the conversation about the neuroscience of leadership. And that was a little bit revolutionary to say there's these learnings in neuroscience that, you know, you don't have to have brain damage in order for them to be really interesting. Now, that may seem really obvious now, but 15 years ago, that was not obvious. And I think it was really forward thinkers who were saying, this this has an application to leadership. It has an application to parenting. It has an application to coaching. It has an application to, you know, teaching. It has applications everywhere that because it helps us understand who we are as human
1: beings. You were just mentioning that there are applications. I'm so curious to learn more about the applications to leadership like what is important there and how can we leverage that to be better leaders yeah so everything everything applies
0: but the question is if you think about so it's saying let's look at an aspect of leadership so what would be an interesting aspect of leadership that we could say how does neuroscience apply here
1: maybe say we pick the relationship between a team leader and his team okay okay And say the dynamics there, because there are so much like what you were saying before is like holding in when you're mad and then maybe exploding. It happens to many people.
0: Yeah. I mean, boy, it's, there's a number of things. One is, you know, so if I'm coaching a team leader, so if I think about how would I use neuroscience with a team leader, the first thing I want them to know, I want them to know about their own brain. And I want them to know to have a better understanding of their own responses and areas for growth but I also want them to understand that their team's brains are not the same as their own brain because we're unique. So let me, I'll give you an example. Oftentimes people end up being moved into leadership because they can, they can kind of, they're, they kind of thrive under stress, especially in high pressure organizations, right? You know, that's like they're, they're doing well under stress the stress and they can handle a lot. And so they moved it like you should be a leader because you're really handling this well. Well, not everybody's brain has the same response to stress. And that's not a fault of anyone. And it's not always the answer that you want to just make everybody, you know, to thrive under more stress. It's not really necessary. What is more helpful is if the team leader understands each person on their team and what they need to be at their best. Do they need more stimulation? So there's a U-curve of stress. This is just one aspect. There's a U-curve of stress, and we, we don't function well if we're understressed, but we don't function well if we're overstressed. And this has to do with neurotransmitters in the brain. And so some people can take a lot. And some people can't, but they'll do really well if they're in their own Goldilocks zone. So, for a team leader to expect everyone to just be thriving under high stress is really unfair. And the traditional response has been, in fact, I just did an interview about this. How do I get my team to be able to handle more stress? And I said, well, there, you know, there's stuff you can do. You can kind of expand that window, but I think a more useful, more useful question is, how do I know what the optimal stress is? For each member of my team, because they're going to do great. You might not need them to handle more stress. You might just need to figure out how you find their Goldilocks zone, because they're going to be at their best if, if you do, you know, and, and to have this conversation with them so that you can, you can, you know, manage a little better around that. So that's one thing when I think about the relationship with the team, that's really
1: Practical. So basically you need to get the brains of your team scanned to see how they respond to stress.
0: (laughs) You can honestly just ask them. And and you don't actually, I've not ever had a brain scan myself, but I know like I can start getting a feeling. So you can ask them. I had a a school principal that I was coaching and she sat down in her one-on-ones with all of her teachers and she showed them this curve too little stress, too much stress, just right stress at the top. Just right stress gives us access to clearer thinking and better memory and more empathy and things like that. Too little stress or too much stress means we don't have as good access to empathy, clear thinking, and memory. And so she just sat down, she showed them this little model, and she said, where are you? Just tell me where you are. And they would say, you know, I'm a little bored. I'm not, you know, I've been teaching third grade for 12 years and I'm a little bored. Or they'd say, oh my gosh, I have such a difficult classroom this year. I've got so many parents putting pressure on me. I am overstressed. I have too much. And so then the question of the leader is, great, got it. What do you need? What would help you? And that's a very good coaching question rather than the leader assuming that they know.
1: And what I hear quite um, strongly here that leaders need to be curious and really listen. Yeah. And then have the empathy to try to understand or put themselves in the shoes of their yeah. counterpart to really get a sense on what it's like for that person because everybody is sitting in a different chair.
0: Absolutely. And what we've also seen is that leaders can make the assumption if someone is underperforming that they have been given too much. And if you actually ask the person, it could be that they're bored. Because people underperform either way. The natural response is, oh, this person is underperforming. Let's take more away. Sometimes they might need more. And that's a question that I think a leader can just ask the person.
1: And I learned that actually ask the people what they enjoy most at work. Because if you make assumptions, they all like what I like is not the case. Exactly. So if you really ask and find out, there's a chance somebody enjoys what you really do not like. Yes. Right. I need more spreadsheets to do because I
0: love that. Good. You do that. This is why I think it really helps leaders to be coach-like, to learn some coaching tools. I think every manager should do at least some kind of basic coach training because it yes. teaches you how not to assume so much and what to do to bring out the best. And from a neuroscience perspective, what we have seen is that when we hold people from the perspective that they actually know what's best for them, and we ask them, rather than just telling them or always directing them, that we tend to activate what the researcher who, who's done this work is, men named Richard Boyatzis and Anthony Jack have done this, and what they found is it creates what they call a positive emotional attractor. It makes people want to, it makes people want and want to work for you and kind of lean lean in to it. When you treat them with that level of respect and, and curiosity. What I'm
1: also hearing is like give them autonomy so that they really own something. Yeah. Like as part of the whole motivation. Yeah. Yeah. I read about you that you said that you had this focus on the effectiveness, but you couldn't prove it. And that's why the neuroscience is coming in because it really confirms all the assumption you already had. Is that then the link? It confirms that we had this model
0: that really kind of started more as a spiritual model or a consciousness model. And it was sort of, and, and saying, okay, what would be happening in the brain and the system that would make someone operate at a level where they're going to be more effective? And that's what we've been able to see. And probably the key aspect that we have seen is that, the thing that makes people more effective is when they're more integrated, mm-hmm. that that's probably the one, the one key that they're not all of one thing or the, or the other, but are in this, they, they have this ability to flex and, and adapt. There's many areas of integration we've found, but but one area, and I've mentioned this before is being able to hold the focus on the task, but also hold the awareness of, the humans involved, of empathy, as well as task focus. And we there's two different networks in the brain, one where we're more focused on task. And when we're totally in that network, it's kind of hard to focus on the people around us. And when we're in the other network and we're just thinking about the people, it's harder to focus on what actually needs to be done. And so a good leader doesn't just do one; <laughs> they do both. They they can kind of flex back and forth as
1: you know as needed. I always hear that when you do multitasking, is bad because you lose your focus. And I would say when you go from say one area, you jump into something else, it will take you twenty minutes to go back. When you do the shift here from the actual task to the people behind us, and you shift your awareness. Do you also have that issue? I would say it depends. And even the 20 minutes would be a big old, it depends.
0: Yes. One of the ways of managing in this and learning who you are. So if I've got something that I need to do, like right now I'm working on a project, a big project, and I've got a whole bunch of PowerPoints and handbooks to do. I need uninterrupted periods of time where I don't actually need to deal with human beings because that will keep me in that task focus and, you know, no intrusions. I can't, for me, I can't do this work and have to be dealing with, you know, like house guests or my partner or whatever. I just need to be able to focus so that I can do that. And I'll give you an example of this. I was doing a program in Indianapolis and I, was in person back in the day and I walked in and the room was a mess and I was like oh shit we don't have very much time and the room didn't seem like it was big enough and so I'm in this room and the sponsor of the program have to be the international coach federation chapter. She walks in and I'm like this, and I immediately look at her. I'm like, this room isn't going to work. It's not big enough. We need to get these desks out of here. You know, and I'm just like totally in task. Right. And she, she's like, this isn't, she she was not happy with me. She kind of in a very snarky way said, this isn't even the room that we're in. And it's the right room and we get it all set up, but I have damaged that relationship. And then I'm like, oh. God, I damaged this relationship, shit. And so I kind of spend the rest of the day trying to like be really nice. It's a day long program. And then when, so as the program went on and we started talking about the brain, she saw, because we talked about this, she saw that her reaction, that she had gone to this place of defensiveness as a response to mine when when she And that she, because she got so defensive, she wasn't even interested in my apology. So we reconciled, we saw that it was all a brain thing and that I wasn't a jerk. But what it taught me, Hannah, was I can't just go, you know, fix the room, that I have to intentionally pause, connect, take a beat, do the relationship thing, and then say, great. I want to talk more, but right now I'm I'm very focused on making sure the PowerPoint works and getting the room set up. So let's get that all done. And then let's sit down and really connect.
1: Thank you for sharing that. You also said before that the number one thing is how to be integrated. How can we do that? How can our listeners, how can they be more integrated? The big answer to this is multiple ways. And the person
0: we originally got this idea from is a neuroscientist named dan, psychiatrist neuroscience expert named dr dan siegel has a fabulous book called Mindsight. Um, and and we studied with him for about a year and really got this started getting into this idea of integration but it is so the way that he defines it and i think this is potentially helpful maybe hopefully not too theoretical but the way that he talks about it well what is integration it's two things the first part is you need to differentiate or understand the parts of yourself. You know, that's where like a coach can really help or you know sometimes a therapist, sometimes a leadership program. So you can see, like when I was talking about traveling, there is a part of me who loves to go to new cities and meet new people. That's a part of me. There is also a part of me that needs downtime at home. And let me say, okay, I've got this part, downtime at home, this part, travel to new cities. Okay, now that I know who I am more, so there's these two parts, now I've differentiated, now I need to link. And now I need to say, okay, what is the right amount of traveling or meeting new people combined with the right amount of being home? How do they integrate So integration in his definition is linking differentiated parts. It's not just, if you just think about a circle, like you make a circle with your hands, that's just everything together. That's not integration. That's a mush. So Dan likes the, he uses the metaphor of that's like a fruit smoothie. You're just, you don't even know what's in there. It's all just mush together. You don't know who you are. That's not integration. Integration. That's just being linked. And then if you think about just all the different parts, that's like separate pieces of fruit. You can see you got a pineapple over here and an apple over here, but they are not talking to each other, right? I can see what they are. What integration is, is like a fruit salad. It's blended together, but it is still distinct. And that is maybe not a helpful answer, but that's what I think people need to do is figure out how do I become more of a fruit salad where I know the parts of me and yet they
1: are all working together. The one word I'm hearing is also finding a balance between my different parts that I carry in myself to really make sure I'm in this, in this Goldilocks area. Yeah. Yeah. It's a
0: balance. It's an understanding. It's a, it's a facility, a discernment in terms of you know, what is needed when, and I think good leaders know this. They know, you know, this person needs more challenge. This person might need more understanding that may be dependent on personality. It might be just dependent on, you know, what's going on in the rest of their life. We are whole human beings. We're not just workers. So I think good leaders already know kind of how to flex with, you know, with the people that they're working with, and that i think also requires self-awareness on the part of the leader that it's not just always about their ego and being right i think good leaders have the ability there's again there's a there's an integration here i have an ego i know in the sense that i know who i am and i value myself right i trust that i have good ideas and i'm in this role for a purpose all of that i think of that as having ego strength right At the same time, it doesn't always have to be my way. And there are times that I need to set my ego aside and just be curious about how this other person is seeing things or what they need, or that my way of looking at the world is not everyone's way, or that someone else may have insight on an answer. And ultimately, what's most important is that we come to something as a team, not that I'm the, not that I'm the rock star
1: if somebody now wants to get a better sense of his or her different parts, because I hear that is step one to get, say, clarity on who am I truly, what is one exercise tool that the people can apply today? Probably the
0: the place that I would start,
1: and you can do this to some degree
0: on your own, and it's also, I'm always a big advocate for coaching, but... Me too. I think it's... Where I would start, especially if someone is saying, "I'm, you know, maybe I'm a younger leader, a younger person, and I've not really done much around this," I would start with your personal values. What are my values? What do I care about? What has been true about me? And there are questions you can ask yourself that will tell you what your values are. Like, what do I admire in other people? You asked me that right away. What do I admire? And I said, "Okay, it's my it's my friend Linda Page." And what do I admire about her is that she has a good heart. Okay, that clearly that's a value that I have or I wouldn't admire it in her. So that's a place to look. Another place to look to know your own values is what makes me angry. You know, what makes me angry? Unfairness. You want to get me mad? Something that's unfair or unjust, Well, that's one of my
1: values. can tell me there's emotion.
0: (laughs) I don't like it. I haven't since I was a little kid. I don't like unfairness. I don't like discrimination. I don't like racism. I don't like homophobia. I don't like those things. Why don't I like them? Because they impede a value of mine. They step on a value of mine, which is justice and fairness. That's a value. So what do we have? We already have two. We have compassion because I admire that in Linda, justice and fairness because it makes me mad. You know, what then another question might be? What's always been true about you? Well, what's always been true about me is I'm creative. Okay, so creativity. So you can start getting a sense of who I am. I'm a person who who is compassionate, who admires justice and is essentially creative. Wow, that's interesting. I like exploring values that way much better than looking at a list Same. because I think a list is just easy just to check it off. It doesn't tell you as much what that means to you.
1: So basically, everybody should take a look in the mirror and do those questions. And if they feel a little bit stuck there, work with somebody like us, work with a coach to really get started on that side. I, I think so. I think that's a really good start
0: to start understanding Your unique flavor, and even you know, you might Hannah agree with all three of those. You might say, "Yeah, I resonate." I'm compassion, creativity, justice, but it feels a little different to me. So I think it's this—it's also this lifelong
1: exploration of like, what are who am I at my core? Oh, I think about it frequently, and it's like one thing that is so important to me is walk the talk in the sense of being responsible and reliable it really triggers me to a big extent. So that told me, oh, this is really, really important to me that somebody needs to do whatever they say. <laughs> I'm so with you. And I
0: I also have a value I would call like walk the talk. And it's such a good place to look at and say what triggers me Maybe it, you know, you think, okay, it doesn't trigger me because I'm a bad person. It's like it triggers me because there's a value there. There's something there that matters to you. And you just made me think of another one, which is that I was uh, recently connected with someone where I felt like they were just all over the place and it was really bothering me. And I'm like, oh, why does that bother
1: me? Well, because I have a value around focus. Focus is a value. That is one thing I also know is like, if you have this feeling at the end of the day, that something is not sitting right, probably there was something with a value that was not on us.
0: Yeah. And that's a good place to look. And from there you can say, okay, what is it that I need to, you know, pay attention to in my life? You know, so like in this case, it was a person that I actually decided not to go forward with in a professional relationship because I just thought I'm gonna be triggered all the time. I don't want to be triggered all the time. There that doesn't fit for me. It's totally fine. It doesn't mean this person is a bad person. It just means values weren't aligned. I like more clarity and focus and some people that's not as important and this person had
1: huge vision and all of that I admire that but not to the extent where you don't have clarity and focus I think this is all coming back to say the personal effectiveness the awareness and time has been flying this was so helpful I have only very few more questions okay go for it what's coming next for you I'm doing a big
0: project with an organization called coaching.com and we're doing a big neuroscience project. So that's really exciting. I, you know, there's also a question where I can sometimes in my life feel like something else is sort of maybe coming next and I don't know the form of it yet. I don't know Mm -hmm. what that's going to look like, but I think there is something coming around going back more, intentionally, we work with this idea of effectiveness in everything that we do, but I think something's coming next in terms of even making that even a little more front and center. Who else should I have on this show? <laughs> she's probably have my business partner, Ursula, who's wonderful and has a whole other thing, other perspective. And she's got a real expertise in, in the whole neuroscience of prosperity. Like what is that? And that's something she has, she has really looked into and explored. The other person, if you can get her is my also good friend and colleague, Amanda Blake. And Mandy wrote a book called your body is your brain. And she is probably the premier expert right now in terms of the neuroscience of embodiment and especially in coaching, but just even in life. And I just admire her so
1: much. I will ask you for the introduction afterwards. Okay. For everybody who's intrigued now, they need to check out Be Above Leadership. Like, how can people stay in touch with you? Best way is connect with me on LinkedIn. You know, just I'm, I always say yes to
0: people in the leadership and coaching field. I just say no to people who want to market to me. So I'm, I'll, I'll just <laughs> say yes to anybody on LinkedIn. It's a really good place. I post a lot there. And also just sign up for our newsletter on Be Above Leadership. If you scroll down to the bottom, you'll get a place where you can sign up for the newsletter. Perfect. Thank
1: you. This was wonderful. And time just went by so quickly. Thanks to you. Thank you. It was absolutely
0: a delight. Great questions. And I could talk to you all day.
1: I hope you enjoyed the neuroscience of coaching. If you want to talk about it, please tap me at Delegate or Reaching Your Goals podcast. And in case you want to hear more from Reaching Your Goals, please sign up for the newsletter. It's at delegate.substack.com or you will find the link in the show notes on my website. With that, we are done for today. We are one step closer to reaching your goals. Talk to you guys next week. Bye.